Glory to Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, this is class four in our Introduction to Spirituality. Father Joseph is leading us through uh, this, this class, and Father, would you please begin us with prayer? Yes. Oh, Holy Spirit, mighty defender, to all you love you, comfort you give everywhere present fountain of virtues without your kindness no one could live so to start off this evening we're going to do a little bit of review for you because I realize we use a lot of specialized language. And you know, if you really want to go into the deep, I'll recommend a book for you, which is a classic of mystical theology in the Eastern Church. It is The Mystical Theology of the Eastern Church by Lofsky. Excellent book. Read it six times and the rest of your life. It's a wonderful source for you. And I'll give you a few more sources as we go along. Um, but that's, this, that's like the Bible of mystical theology in the Eastern Church, especially among the Slavs. And that's what we are. We're Lutinians, you know. And we have our own little ways of doing things like, you know, when they brought the Pantocrator from Constantinople and all north, as it came north, they got rid of the thunderbolts. They got rid of the grimacing face. They got rid of the scales. They made him look nice. They gave him a gospel book and said, he's the lover of mankind. That's last spirituality. That's a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful thing. Now, so we've got to review a little bit with you because just so we know what our context is. So we're still talking about uh, economia or the Incarnation, Jesus Christ. And we taught you last week that uh, God the Father has two sons, the, the Son and the Holy Spirit, to mold a man into himself. And a little few more notes for you then. This Jesus Christ, this high priest, we talked about Hebrews, he is the one that makes deification possible. He's the body for deification first, right? Then he sends the Holy Spirit and we participate in deification through a body like Christ and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the divine energies. Now, the Holy Spirit performs the will of the common and the three persons sent by the Father and in part by the Son and the Holy from the Son. So it's from the Father through the Son and part by the Holy Spirit. So we did that. So there's the Holy Spirit is the third person. Communicates to men in the chain. He makes the church, and we only know the Holy Spirit. We know the we know the Father because we know the Son. We know the uh, Son because of the incarnation, and we only know the Holy Spirit by this what He does inside of us and how He can builds the church. This is the magnificence work of one God in the Holy Trinity making us into the body of Christ. Now, 
Christ is the recreation of all humanity and creation itself. Nature exists in many persons and making them the one body of Christ, the church. So the common model for the church, if you want to use that term, is the body of Christ, that's St. Paul. And of course, amongst us, the church assembled, the Eucharist is the perfect church. We're together with the bishop, the priest, receiving the body and blood of the Lord. That's the beginning of heaven on earth. It is heaven on earth. Now, baptism again makes us sharers in the Son's nature. Confirmation dedicates us to the Holy Spirit. Baptismal grace is present in all of us, the foundation of all Christian life and your mystical life. Now, you, we've learned all that. Now, I want to talk to you about some difficult things tonight that you may want to hear and you may not. Well, you know, it's tough. But things get tough, the tough get going. They pick up the ball. And they make the play. You are athletes in Christ. I think a fly is trying to get in here with me now. You are athletes in Christ. And uh, we call that ascesis, which means athletical training. First Corinthians, 2 Timothy. Timothy is called spiritual training by Christians to keep the commandments. The word itself means I train. Uh, like an athlete, so you know, we watch the Olympics, watch these people. How can they stand what they do to themselves to be, say, a, a ballerina or a dancer? And you know, they're done by the time they're 30. They have to go out and get a second career because dancing doesn't last. Your, your body gives up, doesn't it? It's just like wears out. All these athletes, they're all wrecked. How many of you are willing to wreck yourself for God to gain the glory of the incarnation and the deification of your inmost being where God is on the throne of your heart? So this is the great prize, the crown of victory, which is imperishable, which will crown your head in the glory of the kingdom of heaven. This is what ascesis is about. So, you know, some people say, well, what about sin? Well, I'm not interested in sin. I know I'm a sinner, you know. I know I'm a sinner, you know. One of the problems is this body of mine and this will and these passions, oh, they don't want to behave. I am a creature fallen. It just takes the miracle of God's grace to keep me on the right path. That's what ascesis is about. Now, I just want to give you a few points about ascesis, okay? Now, we're primarily instrument of the spiritual life is self-discipline. So when I was teaching school and when I talked to parents and counseling, I told them right away, person has not learned discipline young, they're ruined. We like to spoil our kids. I like to spoil kids. The Pope told the story. He was with the Patriarch of Constantinople, and they weren't paying any attention. His children were not paying any attention to him because the Patriarch of Constantinople 
had candy in his pockets. And he was giving this candy out, and then the Pope realized he was second string because he didn't have any candy, you see? We all like the candy, don't we? We all like to have a good meal. We all like to have a nice glass of bourbon or whatever you drink or a glass of wine. We all like a pleasant evening. We all like good company. But what are we willing to do with the, to get the company of the Holy Spirit, to get the company of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? So this, after saying that, ascesis is only a means to an end. It's not an end in itself. So, you know, people say, well, I uh, said the whole Psalter today. I'm going to give myself a nice bourbon this evening. I think I'll put my miraculous medal on. Or a new jewel in my cross. That's probably my problem. I want all these jewels in my cross, you know. Remember, diamonds are a priest's best friend, you know. Then don't forget that. It's not for the ladies. It's for the priest's cross. So give them a few. Now, that's just a joke. Okay, now. So anyway, this ascesis is necessary absolutely for success in the spiritual life. It can't be done without it. You cannot kid yourself. Well, I've been going to confession 20 years, and I've been telling the same sins for 20 years. Who are you kidding? That is not the trick. Confession is not the magic trick. What you should say when you go to confession is this. For 20 years, I've been trying to discipline myself, but I continue to put object, objects in sins and things, and sports, and drinking, and partying in the way of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's not important that you sin. We all know that. It's important what you're doing to remove the obstacles to the work of the Holy Spirit in your inmost being, the throne of grace, while God dwells in you. And you should say in your confession, Father, I'm sorry for putting obstacles between myself and the good work the Holy Spirit is trying to accomplish in me. And the priest is probably going to talk to you about ascesis, which you don't want to hear. Well, what about penance? Penance is nice. It's like, you know, it's like putting plaster on the crack in the wall, but the crack's still there. You have to have a firm resolve to do something about ascesis so you can grow through your the sacrament of confession or forgiveness of sin. You love your passion so much. There's so much fun. Straight to hell. There are good things about passion. They're creative, but they have to be channeled by discipline. Now, Faith, this is James 2.26, faith is dead without works. You can believe in God all you want. We want that. But God says, show me that you love me by what you do, by your act, what you say, how you share what you have. 
how you keep the Ten Commandments in the Beatitudes, how you live poverty, chastity, and obedience according to your state in life, then you're going to say to God, okay, well, I must walk with God the way he adorned me to walk with him. Third point, evil habits and sinful dispositions of the soul resist the fulfillment of the commandments. So, well, Father, do I have evil dispositions? Yeah. Do you want to get rid of them? No. Because you have to change yourself psychologically. You know, there was some movie sometime they said, you are what you eat. More important, you are what you think. You have to resist evil thoughts, regardless of where they come from, but I'll talk about that much later. The constant practice of good works helps you work for the love of God. So, you know, when you're a young boy or a young girl, so you want to be daddy and mama, they want him to be a doctor. So they buy him a little doctor kit. Or they want him to learn to read. So they read to him or her, whatever the case may be. You put the tools in front of them ahead of time. In the old days, when I went to school in the dark ages, you know, one of the things about school was you dressed properly, you conducted yourself properly, used proper language. The nuns used to teach us very well how to write, practice, practice, practice. Pretty soon, you became almost intelligent. You were always intelligent, but it was raw. So I remember when I was uh, starting out on the violin, boy, it sounded terrible. But one day, I kept practicing. I don't know how my family could stand it. And all of a sudden, some gorgeous thing happened to me that I could make this beautiful sound. Something like the spiritual life. Good works. Prayer. Fasting. Self-discipline. Self-discipline is the tool to destroy the devil and to gain heaven. This is asceticism. When you start to doing these good works, okay? Constantly demonstrating and in striving for love of God, what pleases him. And your neighbor is a true evangelical love. Not, it doesn't have to feel good to you, but it has to be pleasing to God and your neighbor. That's a big job, you know. Now, let's go on a little bit more. Now, this practice of good deeds and good works, what are they? I hate to tell you this, one of the saddest things I found out, especially in the military, was young Catholics came in to see the chaplain and they wanted a baby baptized. 
kind of find out they weren't even married in the church. They just knew the baby should be baptized. Or were they free to marry? Were they confirmed? You know, in the Western church, they don't confirm people till they're 90 or something. I don't know. Should not neglect these sacraments of initiation that give your children a chance at salvation. Baptism without chrismation is not complete. You know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism, chrismation, and the Eucharist. Then you're in the family of God. So many of the world today is taken up with drugs and Satanism. In my couple of times in my pastor experience, I ran directly into people who were found, found victims of Satan. Now, you want to hear about that, don't you? You little devils, you want to hear about it. Huh? You're little devils yourselves. Now, wait a minute. Let me tell you about one story. It's sort of a personal story because no names, no places, nothing. So a woman calls me on the phone, a young woman. She tells me my boyfriend is rolling on the bed. He can't settle down. I says, who is he and where'd you meet him? Is he baptized? She says to me, he's not baptized. He was in a satanic cult. How can I help him? I said very simply, open the Bible to the Gospel of John, the healing Gospel. We always impose the Gospel, you know, we anoint the sick. Second, try to put a cross in his hands. I says, get into a Catholic priest because he has not received the sacraments and he will be healed. It doesn't have to be in the movies to know what to do about these situations, but these satanic spirits are everywhere tempting you. And we'll talk about temptations later and just how to deal with them. But we don't do the minimal things to help people become Christians and to become part of the body of Christ and people are running all over the, state, the United States saying they're Christians. They're not near a Christian because they're not baptized, chrismated, and fed on the body and blood of the Lord. That's a Christian. Well, that's not nice, Father, because you want them to do all these things. Can't they just say they belong in Jesus, the personal Savior? No, that's not enough. Ontologically, you must be changed by saving grace, as the Protestants would say, and we'd say by deification then you're a Christian. But I had to go through all these things. I had to do this ascesis, this exercises. I had to keep the Ten Commandments. I had to keep the Beatitudes. I must pray. Oh, I must pray, yes. This is it. The breath of the soul is prayer. If I talk to you, I say, well, now just hold your breath for an hour, and I'll come back and talk to you later, see how you're doing. He said, well, that's impossible. But you don't pray. How's your soul going to breathe? 
if you're not a person of prayer. Pray any way you can to start out. Prayer itself is the breath of the soul. Talk to God. Read the scriptures. Say your prayers in your prayer book. Go to church and throw yourself on the ground and, and tell God you don't like him because he likes you and he's going to forgive you. Without prayer, nothing happens. If you see people and they need you, they need your prayer. We get calls every day in the monastery for prayer. And we get all sorts of things that come back and they tell me, well, we know it's because you're praying over there. Well, we hope it's because of our prayers. But I think a lot of other people are praying too, and they can change the world. But you can't change yourself without prayer. I say, I'm mad at God. Well, that's ridiculous. How can you get mad at God? Somebody's all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving, and you're so stupid as to be mad at them and you don't pray. I have a pain over here. I'm sick. Everybody's sick. We're all dying. But God loves us. He wants to save us from that. Well, I don't have any luck. Well, you don't need any luck. You need the divine hand of Jesus. They say in Slovak, that he keeps you in his hands. That he guides you. That you're like clay in the potter's hands, it says in scripture. That means you're a person of prayer. Now, The other thing is that it's about these passions. They must die on the cross. When a monk is made, for the very first step, he's given a cross. Well, we all love the cross, that's true. And we know Jesus died for us. But it's his cross. And he's supposed to be nailing his passions to that cross. And I tell the young monks, all the old monks, any kind of monk, take your cross with you to your hand, in your hands, put it on your pillow at night, any temptations come up, grab the cross. Love your cross. What died on the cross was passion, all of our passions. But we must avail ourselves to that life-giving cross. It is the key to heaven. Let it not be strange in your hands, in your room, where you work, on your body. You know, baptized baby, every person when they're baptized in Eastern tradition, usually they put a cross on them. Why? Protection, love, key to salvation. Now, It says in scripture, out of the heart proceeds, proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adultery, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies, and this is things that defile a man. That's uh, Matthew's Gospel 15, 18 to 19. Well, I don't think people are that bad, actually. I think that um, we're sort of victims. And the worst victim we have is Satan. So you're just minding your own business, you know. You're planting the flowers or making dinner. Or you're reading a nice book or even saying a prayer. And all of a sudden, 
big temptation comes along. Where did it come from? A violent temptation. Father, I can't sleep. Where did this come from? Satan and his myriads all around us. You like angels? According to our faith, angels are fallen. Powerful people. They're noetic people. Gnosis. I haven't talked about you that. You have to reject that. Instantaneously, you have to reject temptation. Right before it, the bud opens. That takes practice. You have to be an athlete to do that. Amongst the monastery, they're taught that from the beginning. They read the ladder. And every Lent, we read the ladder again. All the chapters that are assigned for the Lenten, we read them at the evening meal. And it's all about how to form ourselves and do away with temptation in our life. You can't be happy if you're always dealing with temptation and passion and, God forbid, lust. You can't be happy because you have to produce in yourself the concept of hesychia. It means quiet. Oh, beautiful peace in your soul. With that peace, you can gaze at the Lord enthroned in your heart. How to accomplish that is sort of understood in the Eastern Church. And the Great Fathers, they teach us these things. So, in your training, you're after the prize. Hezekiah is the stillness of the thoughts whereby the intellect descends into the heart with the constant calling on our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things I don't like is um, people use the holy name or the name of Blessed Mother in vain. It's supposed to be used only in prayer. I made it my resolution never to use the holy name except in prayer. And we have the great tradition of the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We have temptations. Say the Jesus prayer. They're, they can't come together. They're incongruous with each other. The temptation will leave. But you, well, no, I don't like giving up my temptations altogether. I just, I'm strong enough. I can do this quarter inch of temptation or these two thoughts or these four and I'll be okay. You lie. You can't do that. The devil's got you by the toe. <laughs> so what you've got to do is sink into your heart. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, Mercy on me, a sinner. Temptation goes away. You should habitually know how to say the Jesus prayer. What does that produce in your heart, in your inmost being? 
is this quietude, this hesekia. And that's the part of being the spiritual athlete, that Jesus prayer. So I see a lot of people, they carry their chutki, their Jesus rope, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it looks doesn't look like it's worn out yet. Interesting. Uh, I see people carrying books, uh, newspapers, watching television, feeding themselves improper thoughts, improper thinking. What are they putting into their heart? The thoughts of your mind, the noose. The noose is the highest faculty of the soul. What you put in there will eventually sink into your heart and you'll fall in love with it. The noose is the highest faculty of the soul. So this should be in the noose, the revelation, the teaching of the fathers, and that quiet that you get when you say your Jesus prayer, and that synergy between the will of God and yourself, that you are in Hezekiah. Takes a long time to, to do that, unless you're specially gifted, but everybody can do it. If you make it, you know, if you really attempt it, but if you're always, look, I'm, I have to read this magazine. I have to watch this show. I have to go to this sports stuff. You know, I heard the priest in Pittsburgh there, they say, well, but when the football game is on, a special important one, we have to shorten the liturgy. <whistles> That's from the devil. Got to get it done in so much minutes. Won't preach today. Who are you cheating? Yourself. Don't hurt God. But he's not happy about it. I don't have time to pray with all that Jesus prayer and all that stuff. Uh, they learn from the, I, I say my morning offering and this and that, and it's all take for the day. It's not true. It says in scripture to pray always. Our life itself should be a life of prayer. I like that painting of the Angelus where this man and woman, obviously working in their garden or their farm, they're stopping to say the Angelus, or the Velichaya, like in our tradition. Now, they're taking, they're working though. They're picking vegetables, whatever they're doing. They're working in the garden, and they stop to pray. I think you can be very close to God in the garden. I've always felt that way. I like planting things and seeing the growth gives you a feeling of accomplishment. I like the church to grow too. I like everything to grow. What is in my mind? I read the holy books. I tried to deepen my knowledge. I spent 40 years going to school, taking all sorts of degrees. I have five degrees. I should have just spent that time in prayer. Oh, I learned a lot. Most of it not very useful. I got good jobs. I had military. I got promotions when I was in the military. I've even got promoted in the church. You know, that's one of the miracles. I'm an archimand right now. It's a beautiful thing to get recognition. But the greatest recognition you want 
is in the quiet of your heart where the Jesus prayer repeats itself. Then after a time, it disappears and you're alone with the alone, the great one, holy God. And you can even smell him. You can see light. You can find peace and love. Heaven starts on earth, but not without ascetical living. Because that's where it starts. Self-discipline is where everything starts. Even in a marriage, if you two selfish people get married, you're, gonna, you're not going to last. Somebody's got to sacrifice themselves one or the other all the time. Marriage is a cross. Children are nice. Marriage, hmm. You know what the Indian said? For 20 years, he said we had babies. For 20 years, we fought. He says, next, next 20 years, we don't say anything to, at all to each other. We just live here. He reached Hezekiah the hard way. <laughs> Sorry, a funny little story. Okay, now. Nepsis in Greek antiquity literally means not to drink strong wine or, or things like that. The fathers adapted this uh, to talk about not to desire to drink the passions, be drunk with anger, lust, or desire. One must, spiritually speaking, drink no wine. Nothing that arouses the passions is going to be your friend. Peter, first Peter, says, therefore, gird up your lines of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully upon grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the food we have to drink. You know the Lord, when the disciples came to him and they wanted to give him something, he says, I have food that you do not know of. That's the, that's the menu we want to do. That's what we want to achieve in our ascesis. St. Uh, Paul refers to 1 Corinthians 2 Timothy spiritual writing of the war waged by Christians to keep away the temptations of the devil. To keep away the attraction of the world. You know, I think about this quite a bit, especially here in America. I'm not political, but I am political. We're all political. I think the foreign policy in the United States has been failing for a hundred years. I think that we've destroyed more than we've gained. Probably we're materially better off than any people in the world, but spiritually and intellectually, we're almost bankrupt. And now we're becoming almost a godless society. And skepticism is the philosophy that we are fed every day in the news. Something to not believe in. Not something to believe in. Jesus Christ did not make us for this. We need 
a reformation uh, to teach the gospel message of peace on earth and goodwill toward men and not blood and guts and money. Forgive me my vulgarity. But it has to start in your heart. So I had a classmate in the seminary. I'll mention he's my senior Cohen now. And we're sitting there listening to this professor wax eloquently about dogmatic theology. And as he did this, he also told us reasons why we shouldn't believe the theology he was teaching us. And I looked at Charlie. I says, Charles, what are we doing here? He says, I don't know. He says, but I hope we get the hell out of here while we got some faith left. Practical man. Practical man. We have done more in the 20th century to tear down the church than it went for the past 2,000 years. Starting with the Renaissance and all that, we can't go into that. And we are putting the icing on the cake in these United States. We should build up the church. The church is poor due to lack of vocations and lack of financial means. You know, I told you before. God gives you faith, but the church costs money. Monastery, monastery costs money. You have to eat and all that, you know. But the worst thing we are starving for is that community of faith which supports us all on our vocation to be good Byzantine Catholics. We have the beauty. We have the package. We have to learn how to bring it in an attractive manner to everyone around us to save the United States. Maybe, you know, I want to tell you something. The United States, the world, when Jesus came, preached Christianity, it spread like fire. It said, with the fullness of time, Jesus Christ came. We've been picking it away ever since. Cutting it down to our, to measure our presuppositions, passions, and notions. Askesis. Living a disciplined life. Falling in love with God enthroned on your heart. Hesekia. The quiet in your body, in your heart, to not only know, but feel God's energies within you. You know, it's like this. If you do that, and you all can, you'll fall in love. But if you fall in love, you know God to tell somebody about it. And if we want to tell somebody about our love, then we're going to convert them. We're going to save the United States. First thousand years... The church was Greek and Eastern. Second thousand years, it's been Western and scholastic. All of the brain trip and not the heart. Third thousand years, I predict to you, if we live at all, if we survive, it's going to be Eastern and filled with love and the mysticism of the Eastern church. Because it's a foundation stone on which even the poor man or the richest man 
can live and die and have peace and go to heaven. I had a cousin. He was an Augustinian recollect. He was adopted. And I, he wasn't of our, our particular church, but uh, he was a Catholic. And anyway, he, uh, his mother and father, they had no children. They adopted him and they said they wanted to raise a priest. How many of you want to raise a priest? Four children in each family, two for yourself and two for God. Don't be selfish. So anyway, this little man, the little boy, his mother carried him almost to church every day. He grew up. He was a priest. He worked down in Peru on the, with the fighting the communists in the old days, feeding people fish with, with meal, according to straightened baby's legs, building, putting a roof on the church, a real missionary. We must rebuild the Church of Christ by our ascesis. We must become the mystics of this generation so that next generation can be filled the mystical life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you. Amen. <clears throat> Father, um, one of the questions that we've had so far is about um, this idea of Hezekiah, the Hezekastic movement. Um, there, this, the question comes from that the, they know that the Roman church, the Western church, has had some issues with this theology of the Hezekiah. Could you maybe speak about what that sort of movement in the church was and where there might be a misunderstanding? Well, it's a huge controversy, which they seem to be solving now because that book about uh, the death of Jesus' prayer, you know, is popular everywhere, The Way of the Pilgrim. Everybody reads that. Mm. I don't know if they know what they're reading, but that's Hezekiah. And then there was a quietist in the uh, Western Church. Uh, there's a book called Quaston, which is the, a handbook of spirituality of the Western Church, and they go all into those controversies. Then there's the Polemite controversy, which was a, uh, about the 1400s. And I think Gregory Palamas, I just talked to a student in Rome, and he wanted to write a paper about uh, Palamas in contrast to Augustine or something to this effect. And the professor at the Roman uh, college there said, well, he's a heretic. You see, so it's a long ways off from where she should be. But basically what they objected to is that we claim we can experience God through Hezekiah, through his energies. His divine energies and creation and his deifying energies. They had none of this theology. Uh, their theology of grace, uh, if you read Karl Rahner, uh, is this. And sanctifying grace, which comes from Augustine, is an accidental modification of the soul by which we experience the indwelling of God. Well, we Easterners... We go a little bit further. We, we tell them what the, what the nature of the indwelling of God is. That's controversial. That anybody can experience God from his nature. We don't experience the nature of God. We experience the product of his interior. I told you some weeks ago, 
perichoresis, the life of God. The energies come from the Father, Son, and Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Well, it's a very controversial issue, not for us, and it's being popularized even in the West. Not too long ago, some years ago, they had Payarkar Chardani wrote about uh, alpha and omega points and energies. I think he lifted that from the Eastern Church. Now, I don't know that he did, but I think he lifted it from the Eastern Church. You know, it's <laughs> fascinating about that. You see. So, and when I was doing my master's degree in Eucharistic theology in the seminary, they asked me about the theology of the grace of the Eastern Church. I didn't want to go there because I wanted to get my master's degree. So I didn't go into that too much with them. But they're, they're afraid that we're becoming, um, uh, you know, we think God is everywhere. Well, he is everywhere, but not the way we participate in. Pantheists, they think we're all pantheists. We're not pantheists. We know the difference between his nature, his creative energies, and his deifying energies. We're a step beyond them. They have to catch up. Forgive me, but they have to catch up. But there's books written on the Palamites. There's lots of books around. Right. The Palamite being Gregory uh, Palamnes and his, whom we celebrate uh, one Sunday is dedicated to him. During That's right. You went. Yeah. yeah. So not a heretic, according to us. Unless he's not a stranger. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Th this question actually has a quotation from uh, St. Gregory of Nyssa uh, in it. Um, this is from uh, Father Diodoro. Um, so the question, uh, I'll just read you the quotation. Um, For God, uh, the only goal uh, is this, the perfection of the universe through each man individually, the fulfillment of our nature. Some of us are, are purged from, uh, or excuse me, are purged of evil in this life, some are cured of it through the fire in the afterlife. Uh, some have not had the experience of good and evil in life here. Um, and the question is, is how does this uh, sort of understanding from some a classic Western understanding of purgatory, how do we understand that? How do we, uh, as the East, understand uh, this quotation within well, the light of the West? Let's discuss this. I just had a, a pilgrim up at the... Um... Monastery Brighton bring this up. He's heavy into purgatory. And um, I looked it up in Ott's uh, book of dogmas for the Western Church. And it's they say it's theologically certain or something like they have notes on their theology as to what it means. I look at the I got three parts to this question I'm going to deal with. First of all, uh, whether it's East or West, we have some type of journey after death, whether it's the going through the gateways or it's going to purgatory. Except I like the Eastern way because it's only 40 days, and in the West they're slow. It takes a thousand years sometimes. So I think that's a little bit too much. <laughs> now let's go into the theology of Gregory of Nyssa. He sees God. I'm reading the intellectual history of Gregory of Nyssa now, a wonderful book. Most of his stuff is in poetry. In uh, sermons he gave at funerals, he talks about his mother and his dad and his relationship with the other Cappadocians and all that. Very interesting stuff. Uh, so anyway, lately it's come to me that uh, reading these fathers that 
the primary thing in life is energy. And you know yourself, medically, we're just one ball of energy. We're electricity. You all know that. But then there's the divine energies, too. So the way I, lately, I've been talking to the monks in the monastery about it a little bit, because they're always studying, too. I think the energy of God, if you have lived a good moral life, you enjoy it. But if you did not live a good moral life, a holy life, it hurts you. I think that's the major, major suffering of the uh, bad angels. And I think that would be the real proper suffering of hell. Is you can't stand being your God. That would fit more or less for Gregory and Misa too also. So we are making our option for heaven constantly. And for those who do not achieve the sanctity that God has predestined them for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they are going to be the sad ones. So do everything in your power to keep the commandments, to keep the Beatitudes, and to keep God enthroned in your heart so you'll not experience this dichotomy when you should be falling in love with these energies in heaven, but you're, you're not fit for it, you're, you're suffering. Now, you know, some of the fathers, they do, want, they do not want to say that uh, there's, there's eternal suffering, but it seems like dogmatically we have to admit there's something like that. But this seems to me, these divine energies, has a twofold effect in the soul of the individual. It's not such a bad thing, as long as you just keep falling in love. But it's a fearful thing for those that don't. It's a fearful thing for the whole world. Now, as far as recreation, the whole creation of the world was destroyed by the energies, and a new one will appear. Is that too far out for you? I hope not. Don't throw me to the Inquisition or whatever, you know. <laughs> no, thank you very much. Um, got a number of questions actually. They're they're all uh, more practical um, as opposed to the more you know no quotations from Gregory um, of Nisa. But um, so th one of the questions is: Do you have any thoughts on um, how the role? You know, looking at this, as you said, the next thousand years being the 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 experience of the East, um, the Eastern Church. How how what role would? I'm sorry. Thousand years belongs to the East. Yeah. What role does the monasteries then play? We've got to get up our ASS and put our <laughs> message out there. It's difficult, mm. but only mystics will survive mm. in Christianity. Only mystics. The experience of God is primary to the Christian, not all this intellectual uh, diatribe. All this baggage that the church has built up, it will not last. We have to give people an experience of God. The Eastern Church can do that. Even our liturgy itself is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. It's a mystical experience in itself. We have the package. We have to learn how to be salesmen. Next thousand years belongs to the church. And maybe it's going to be Russia that will do that. Yeah. Putin with his monasteries and his churches. Shocking. He who was the great communist is now the great Christian in the world. And the, the 
prophecies of Fatima are being fulfilled, but not the way we thought they would be. <laughs> no. So we're on, it's like on the farm, you know, the little piglet, he wants to eat, but he's on the hind tit. He never gets enough milk. That's where we are. We're, 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 we're trailing along somewhere behind everything. We're not, we're not, we haven't got the message to give it, but we do have the package. Get on fire with the Holy Spirit. Give the pack. You have to talk, everybody you meet, if you can, talk to them about the gospel. Mm. I hope it didn't point you. <laughs> well, um, the, the question was about how monasteries will help uh, this process. Monasteries are those points on the earth where the fire of the Holy Spirit lands. There the ideal life is lived of a Christian in imitation of John the Baptist and all the great fathers and all the great bishops. The great bishops for the first 800 years were great teachers, great mystics. Now they're administrators. I don't fault them. The church has pushed them in, pushed us into this framework and nobody wants to break out. It's a problem. Bishops, priests, must be like monks, deep in prayer and not afraid to say it. The Christian, the young people are looking for that person. They're looking for a spiritual father, someone who can give them the message and that they can experience it in their heart. But it's like this, you can't cut it off. Take a piece of skin off your hand and stick it into them. You have to build them up. Set them on fire. And you have to be there to hold them up when they fall on their face. Go talk, sit down and talk to them. Make them fall in love again. I didn't say it's going to be easy, but that's the future. Or there'll be no Christian church. I'm sorry. No, no, thank you so much. I think we all needed to hear that. And your, your passion is... is inspiring well, um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um well you you brought up uh this question uh this this so um <laughs> okay so this idea of exorcisms within the east and the west you brought up uh sort of demonic uh and and uh satan satanistic worship how uh how does that? How is that understood within the East as opposed to the West? I think most people through Hollywood, mostly maybe not a very accurate understanding, but have an understanding of what of exorcisms and and that practice in the East. Excuse me, in the West. What is it in the West? It. What is it in our tradition? In our tradition, exorcism is prayer to defeat the power of the evil ones. It's done all the time. It's done at baptisms. It's done any time uh, the Our Father is said. It's done three or four times a day. We don't have to have a drama show to know a person's in trouble and under the influence of the evil one. We have to mm. teach their thinking, feed them good thoughts, and help them reform their lives. So everybody's an exorcist. Mm. Every time you bless something, you're performing an exorcism. It doesn't have to be people's heads turning around and all this stuff. I mean, I've seen some crazy things in my life. 
and I said some prayers and things like that. Good things did happen, you know. People are under evil influences. But the worst thing, as I tell you, is everybody's not baptized and chrismated and receiving the Holy Eucharist. How can we how can we defeat Satan if people don't have the sacraments? They don't even know the gospel. They say, I'm a Christian. Well, you baptize, you married in Well, I don't know. I was married under Jesus or something. But I'm a good Christian. What are you, what, who, are we, who are we kidding? You have to be a part of the body of Christ. Even the church downgrades its own message. We need fire. God came to Christ, fire upon the earth. Monasteries everywhere, but domes, fire. Monasteries are the heart of prayer in the church. I was talking to a bishop who had been a monk. Well, know what he said to me? I regret losing the prayer life that I had in the monastic community. It's almost impossible out here. And we have to pray for our bishops. You know, it's difficult for those people. 